Well, let's pray, and we'll, we'll take a look at Acts chapter 23. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for the hedge of protection you kept about so many in the storms, God. Thank you for homes spared, certainly for lives spared, God. I thank you for answered prayers sitting right here in this building tonight, God. I pray you continue to... To, to hear and answer prayers as you do and as only you can, Father. I pray you'd move in a mighty way. Lord, I pray you'd move in this place tonight. I pray that you'd speak to us, God. I pray you'd help us to learn something from your word. And we pray most of all that you would be pleased with everything we do. We love you, God. You've been good to us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we were in chapter 23. We left off last week, verse 15. The apostle Paul has been carried in to the castle. This He's being protected from this mob, this band of men. Am I going to have a clock up there? Let me put one out so I'll know when we're going to get out. Oh, I do have a clock up there. Thank you, ma'am. I see it. I, see. I didn't have one. It's necessary to y'all that I have a clock up there on Wednesday nights. On Sunday, you're on your own. We just never know. But on Wednesday, uh, I have to try to pay a little bit of attention. So anyway, <laughs> um, you got the more than 40 men. They made a pact that they're going to kill Paul. And their pact was, we're not going to eat again until we kill Paul. And by the time Paul left Caesarea, them men done starved to death. So that wasn't a very good pact. But they, they've made this pact. And we left off last week looking at the fact that God always has a people. God always has a plan. God always has everything under control. He always has a way. And we left off with the thought, knowing that, that God is a supernatural God. And God has supernatural powers. There's nothing that God cannot do supernaturally, but that's not how he works most of the time in the affairs of men. Most of the time, this supernatural, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God works through natural means just like you and I. He uses people to accomplish his will. And, and here's the crazy part. He uses people to accomplish his will. And then he rewards the people for doing what he sent them to do. Isn't God just good? So, so here that in verse 16, that's what he does. He uses Paul's nephew, his sister's son, in verse 16. He heard of their lying in wait, went and entered the castle and told Paul. So God allowed his nephew to overhear this plot to murder Paul. And he, he has Paul inside the castle to protect him. But because Paul being a Roman citizen, he's allowed to have visitors. So his nephew goes and he tells Paul. And Paul sends him over to the captain. Verse number 17, he called one of the centurions into him and said, Bring this young man to the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. He doesn't say anything about what it is. He says, you just take him to the captain. And I, I was thinking about this today as I was looking at, at the events of how this works out and how it's easy for us to look at a story like this and see how God is always working behind the scenes. See how all these people devise this plan, and they think they have a secret plan, and they're going to have the captain bring Paul, and they're going to ambush and kill him. And it seems like they got a plan, but God is always working behind the scenes. God always has the right person in the right place at the right time to do the right thing. Sometimes it's like it's just in time. Sometimes it's four days late, right? But four days late is right on time according to God's economy. And we look into the word of God and we see even in the four days late and even in this, how God shows up. It's like God shows up just in time and there's an ease. Always working in the background. He's always working to make things come out good. He's always working, even though he may be in a storm right now, even though he may be in a situation right now, God is working everything out. And we look at that and we see that in the word of God. But then we look at our own problems and our own troubles and our own trials and our own situations. And we forget that God's doing the same thing to us. We just can't see it. 
We just can't see who overheard the conversation and who's passing a message from one person to the other. We just can't see who God is waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to pray specifically for you. They don't know why. All they know is God woke them up and said, pray for you. And God's doing that so he can take their prayer and come over here and bless you. We're, we're no different. Tim just talked about it. The same God of 2019 was the same God in 2020. This is the same God in 2023. This is the same God of Paul. This is the same God of Michelle. This is the same, the same God of every problem that we have, every need that we face. He's the same God. And if he's working behind the scenes for them, he's working behind the scenes for us. Well, I certainly enjoyed that. It was a thought I had, and, and, and I got some thoughts that I just have to rest assured that God's working behind the scene. Right? Verse number 18. It says, He took him, brought him to the chief captain, and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me unto him, and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. And the chief captain took him by the hand and, and went with him aside privately and asked him, what is it thou hast to tell me? That's kind of surprising to me that the captain takes his young man and goes off to the side right here. And, and, and you know, it's not just, well, what is it? What do you want to say? Or look at him as a boy. He, he calls him over. But I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm thinking this might be the captain maybe trying to kiss up a little bit of Paul. Remember, the captain's still in trouble, right? I mean, if word gets out of what he's done, I mean, he's already committed punishable crimes against Paul. He's already beat him. He's already bound him. He's beat up on him. And he even sent him to be scourged with a Roman scourge. And so he's, he's got some things. So I, I don't know. Maybe he's trying to make up a little bit of some things here. But he pulls him over. He says, what are you going to tell me? And in verse number 20, he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. So they're going to ask you to bring Paul down. But, but here's the deal. Along the way, when you're bringing Paul down, they've got an ambush set up. Do not yield unto them in verse 21. For they lie in wait of him more than 40 men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, looking for a promise from thee. So, you know, that, that brings up a whole new situation here for the captain, the, the just, just captain of the guard. He already knows the Jews very well. I mean, he's over Jerusalem. He, he's had to deal with them uh, uh, quite a while now. And he, he understands that this really isn't just something that some young man would concoct in his mind. This sounds just like something those guys would do. This sounds just like that bunch of Jews that I've been dealing with. This, that, that sounds just like them. So he takes the precautionary steps in verse number 22 that, that he said, let the, let the young man depart. And he charged him, said, see thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. So the captain, more than likely, I, I know we looked at it before, he, he purchased his Roman citizenship at a great cost. And we know that. And that's when we'll learn his name. We'll see it here again in the next verse, verse 25 down there uh, about Lysias. But he signs there with, with the emperor's name. And more than likely, though, he's probably seen some battles if, if he's a head over the army. Money didn't buy that. He needed some experience to keep men alive. And one of the things that he's learned is the necessity of the surprise attack. He, he understands the, the, the need for surprise. And, and what he learned is that his enemy had a surprise. And now he's learned about it, so he has a surprise for them. His, he, tell, he calls the two centurions in, verse 23, and he says, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea. Horsemen threescore and ten. 
spearmen 200 at the third hour of the night and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. So here's the deal. You got more than 40 men that have agreed they're going to kill Paul. And here's what the captain says we're going to do about that. We're going to send 200 trained foot soldiers armed. We're going to send 70 of the cavalry. We're going to send 200 trained spearmen, 470 soldiers. That's almost half of his embattlement that he has there to, to, to take care of Jerusalem. And we're going to send them, and we're going to send them out at 9 o'clock at night. See, that's important too, because Jerusalem is a high-walled city, and it has gates, and the gate closes at dark, and no one goes in or out except they have the order from here. So the only ones going out is going to be this army of 470 men with Paul on the horse, and nobody's going out behind them. So even if the men wanted to get out, by the time the doors open again, Paul's already going to be nearly in Caesarea. So he sends him out there in the middle of the night. Now, I was thinking, you know, 470 soldiers, 400 of them are footmen, 200 of them are armed with spears and, and shields, 200 of them are armed with shields and spears, 200 got swords, 200's got spears. 70 of them are cavalrymen on horses. They didn't go out of town unnoticed. I mean, they come marching through town. They, somebody knew they went out of town. They didn't just sneak out in the dark. They made a pretty good presence when they went out, and Paul's in the middle of it. Don't you just know somebody went back in 40-something men and said, I hope you boys ain't too hungry because y'all going to be waiting for a while. If y'all saw what I just saw, if you ain't going to eat or drink, you better hope you got a storage tank like a camel. Because they, they, they just took him out. So, so they, they, they go out. And I was looking at all the things that, that God uses right here for Paul. Now, Paul, remember, he was sent back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit told him, when you go back, you're going to be bound. He went back knowing that he's going to be bound. He don't know what's going to happen. But he knows he's going back, that he's got to preach the gospel at Jerusalem. And then he's got to preach the gospel at Rome. God's told him that. He knows he's going to do those things. So he goes back. And here he is bound. But, but God uses the binding. He used the soldiers to take Paul away from that, that mob, away from that crowd. He used the castle as a place to protect Paul. He used that young man to reveal the secrets against Paul that somebody's going to try to kill him. He used the captain and over 470 men to protect Paul and to take him to another city to get him to a safer location where Felix is, where he'll be very well guarded. Ain't nobody going to go in and get to him there. And, and, and if that's not enough, he provided a horse. Paul's had to walk everywhere he's been. Other than ships and with his success on ships, I can understand why he walks a lot. Right? So he has to walk on all these journeys everywhere he goes, but he don't have to walk here. God, God even puts him on a horse to get him. See, everything, this, this, this is for us. Everything is at God's disposal to meet your need. Everything is subject to God's command to meet your need. There is nothing, nobody, no thing, nothing that God cannot use to take care of whatever your problem is. We looked at verse 25 last week. I mentioned a minute ago, Lysias, that's where we learned his name. And that it, we, we confirmed that about his Roman citizenship. Remember, he said it came at a great cost. And so he uses the, the Roman emperor Claudius there as his first name. And he signs his letters, Claudius Lysias, and, and he wrote... A letter after this manner, verse number 25. And I just got to tell you before I read that letter. 
If you ever just need a good laugh, this is a good story to read. If you ever just want to find something comical in the Bible to, to read, something will just kind of crack you up to read it. This, this, this is a really good spot to read. You remember how Lysias treated Paul, right? We just talked about, we know about how he came in, he had him arrested and how the guards beat on him and, 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 then, and then he had him bound, which all that was illegal. And, and then he, he, he orders him for a scourging, a Roman scourging. He gets that. That was illegal. And, and then he brings him in instead of asking Paul what's this all about and letting Paul explain it or what are the accusations. He brings him back before the Sanhedrin again to let them have their say. And they nearly pull him half in too but because of the argument between them. So, so he's brought in all of this stuff. And then he writes this letter, verse number 26, Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent Governor Felix sendeth greetings. So you see him kissing up right out the gate, right? This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood he was a Roman. You, you lie like a dog. You didn't even know he was a Roman until way later. You didn't come in to rescue him. Remember who he thought he was? He thought he was that Greek fellow that stirred up insurrection against Rome. And that he finally, he caught that dude. He's fixing to get stars on his shoulder because he done caught the bad guy. And boy, when the higher uppers figure out that, I mean, he's thinking he's got something. And here he says, I went in and rescued him. I, I went in and, and took him away from those Jews. And when I would have known the cause wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but having nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. You're the one that put him in bonds. You're, you're the one that put the shackles on him. You're the one that put the chains on him. But I saw him do nothing worthy of, of bonds. Is that, is that not hysterical? That he could write that letter? Don't you know, don't you wish Paul could have read that letter? He'd been like, yeah, right, okay. So, so here's reality. All of the region is under Roman rule. And, and Rome has good control of the region. Roman has good authority in every city. Ro Roman has everyone else pretty much at bay. They only have two birds under the saddle. One is Judea and the other one is Jerusalem. The two capital cities of, of, of the Jewish people where you still got that Jewish culture. You still got those that are hanging onto the law. That's where those people still live. So there's still a lot of volatile situations in Jerusalem and Judea. That's, that's the hardest two places that Rome still has to deal with there. So he's saying that... that Man, he, I'm, I'm a hero. I, I've come in and I've taken this, this Roman <clears throat> right out. I mean, in Jerusalem where all the riot was in the street. And you know how harsh things are there. And, and I come in and I rescued him from the grasp of these, of these Jews. And now I find out that really all it was about in the first place was just some Jewish squabble. So, so I, I'm sending him over to you. In verse number 30, it was told how the, the Jews laid wait for a man. I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. It, it says that he told his accusers, the ones that wanted to kill him, that if, if you're going to do anything, you got to go see Felix and, and you got to bring your accusations to him. Can somebody tell me where that verse is at? Because it got left out of my King James Bible. Did anybody read that one? I, I mean, I missed that one altogether. You know what I'm talking about? What I saw was he heard about it and he snuck him out in the middle of the night and he didn't say nothing to him. That's what I, that's what I read. 
But, but that's not what he, what he says here. And, and then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Antipatris. So, so that would be about a 40-mile trip. During the night, they left at 9 o'clock. A little after daylight, they've arrived here. This is, this is a little town uh, um, there in the plains of Sharon, about 40 miles away from Jerusalem. The, and, and it says that the horsemen returned on the morrow in verse 32. They left the horsemen go with them and return to the castle. So by the time they get to, to Antipatris, it would have been daylight the next day. And they sent the cavalry back. They sent the 70 horsemen back, but it's not like they're living in danger, sending them back. Number one, they're way too far ahead for anybody to catch them from Jerusalem, and they've still got 400 soldiers, right? So it's not like they're setting up this dangerous situation. They send them back in verse 33, who when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle unto the governor, presented Paul also before him. The epistle, of course, is a letter. That's what we have all, all the letters, the, what we call books of the Bible, those, those are epistles, those are letters. He hands them the letter. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, he said, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Now, Herod's judgment hall is kind of like a, a guard room that's attached to the palace. It's not the dungeon. It's not down there where all the hard thieves. It's not like where Paul and Silas sang at midnight when they were in a dungeon and they were chained to the wall and shackles about their neck and, and had been beaten and bleeding. This isn't that kind of situation. He, he's in pretty good quarters right here. He, he's in a fairly decent place there at the judgment hall. Being a Roman citizen and being from a Roman province, that means that Felix can hear the case. He's not going to have to go to a higher authority or a higher court. But in order to hear the case, I have to have the accusers here. There, there can't be a case. There can't be a trial unless there's an accuser here to bring it. So, so Paul, we'll, we'll learn, but Paul's stay here turns into about a two-year stay in Caesarea. Um, when he carries off, he, he's a prisoner there for about two years. But, but here he, he stays in the, this location he's at. He would have been allowed to have visitors. I'm not sure. It doesn't really tell us even as we read further on. Did people from the church come visit him? I don't know whatever happened to James and them. I guess they just gave up. I mean, they're the ones that got him into this mess in the first place when they sent him into the, to the temple back then. But it doesn't say who does. Well, some of the friends we'll see later on as we study. But, but he's allowed to have some visitors here. And the Sanhedrin, it goes on to tell us in our story that the Sanhedrin, they come and, and they bring their accusations. They, 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 one of the things that stands out that is always, always, always the same. This Jewish religious crowd, y'all notice they always have somebody else do their dirty work? They always have somebody else do their dirty work. Well, they do the same thing right here. They bring somebody else in after five days. Ananias, the high priest, descended with elders with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and very wroth deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. Boy, what's some kissing up? We, we accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding, I will not be further tedious unto thee. I pray that thou wouldest Hear of thy clemency a few words. I mean, man, you talk about trying to buy a vowel right there. So you probably got a day's travel. Somebody had to have a day's travel back to tell the Sanhedrin. And they had a day's travel there. And it took them five days. So that means they spent three days planning their lives. 
They spent three days getting this, this man, this speaker, which we'll see he's a Roman. They spent three days getting him. You know, if you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you told. If you just tell the truth, it'll always be the same. The story never changes because it's the truth. But, but when you vary even a little bit, anytime you tell a lie. But when you start incorporating a big lie that involves a lot of people, you got to work on that one for a while. Make sure you got all the ducks in a row. So, so this Tortullus, this is a Roman name. So obviously this man is a Roman, but the Sanhedrin would have needed a Roman, which that's not unusual for him to use Roman, basically attorneys, Roman lawyers. It's not unusual for him to use them to gain. And that's the same thing they do here. One, they probably felt that they'd be heard better if they had a Roman present the case. Since they're coming up against Roman authorities, they, they probably felt like that. I mean, after all, they're not on the best terms with the Romans anyway, right? We just talked about Jerusalem as one of the hardest provinces to keep. Felix knows all about it, knows about them, so not on the best terms anyway. So we'd probably be better heard coming from a Roman. But besides that, they need somebody that speaks fluent Greek. And they don't. They speak Hebrew. So, so they need somebody that, that speaks fluently. But also, they're, they're not really all that versed on Roman culture and Roman law. They're, they're more caught up in their own Jewish ways. They're, they're not really that versed or that updated there on, on Roman customs. And what they don't want to do because of their lack of knowledge is allow this, this man Paul to slip away with some mishap on their part. So they take three days to, to take this Roman and teach their lies and what they want them to say. And, and they bring them in. They have their attorney. They have their lies. They, they have their plan. They're very well prepared for, for this as they come in. And, and their very first step, what we see is them kissing up to the governor. Trying to get over on his good side. And they, they're paying him all of these compliments and and, and all this stuff about how good and how he treats them and how we do so well because of thee. Listen, they know what we know. They know that's a lie. Felix is ruthless, selfish, couldn't care less about anybody else. He, he's not this, this giant angel that they try to act like they're making him out to be. They're, they're not worried about the truth. They're not worried about justice. They're worried about getting what they want. That's all that matters. What we want is Paul dead. Same, same with Jesus. All we want is what we want. So they, they, their first charge, they come in, and this first charge here in verse 5, this, this is a straight-up lie. Paul didn't start the riot. The Jews started the riot. But nonetheless, it's a very serious accusation. We've already looked at the fact that according to Roman law, it is against the law to start a riot, an uprising in the streets. And whoever it is that starts that uprising, it is punishable by death. So this first accusation says, We have found this man a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. See, that puts Paul in a very dangerous situation because that word that they use there for pestilence, that's the same word it means a plague. This man is a plague to society. This is a very dangerous man. It, it, it's a word that means deadly disease. So that's what Paul is to the whole world, not just in Jerusalem, not just over this one event, that he's around the world causing all this. And it says that he is a ringleader of the sect 
of the Nazarenes. Both of those are bad words. That sect is something that, that, that is contemptible to the Romans. Any, any sect is anything that is against Roman authority. That's any group within. That kind of stuff is not allowed. But, but he calls him a Nazarene. That is a, a name that the Jews have. It is a, it is a contemptible name. It, it, it is a name, a, a derogatory name, if you will, that they use for Christians. They don't call them Christians. They, they don't, Christians is toward Christ-like. Well, they were first called Christians at Antioch. That means Christ-like. Christian is, is to be like Christ. To, to be a Nazarene is to be a follower of that man, Jesus, that troublemaker, the Nazarene. So, so they call this as a derogatory name. And he says, there's a group of men that, that are a sect that, that, are, that are going around causing these problems. And he is the ring leader of it. We, we, we see their position a, a lot of times when you're looking at really anything to do with the Jews. You see their position as, as it comes to Jesus and when they, when they call him the Nazarene or Jesus of Nazareth. John chapter 1 verse 45, Jesus is, is bringing his disciples together. He's calling his disciples. But it says that Philip findeth Nathanael and saith him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did right. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael, this is you, said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Come find out for yourself. John chapter 7, that's where we get our new scene for those of you that are in the play or those of you may have seen some of the practices. We do the breakaway, this is still scene where boy Jesus is up there and it goes to all that scene at 12 years old. There's another cutaway scene and in the middle of it here, action just kind of keeps moving. There's a scene goes up there. We actually, actually pulled that from this. We were looking for a scene earlier this year and I had saved something in my notes from, from John chapter 7 for Paul. I said, what do you think about this? Because what happens, that, well, uh, let me just read it to you. John chapter 7, verse 45, came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to him, why have you not brought him? They were supposed to have went and gotten Jesus and brought him to him. They were supposed to have arrested him. Brought him and said, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, never a man spake like this man. They answered the, the Pharisees and said, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night being one of them, He said, Doth thy law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look. For out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Well, I guess they decided to deliberately overlook Jonah, which, by the way, is the only prophet that Jesus Christ compares himself to as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's the only prophet, but he's from about, he's from a little, little town about three miles from Nazareth. So I guess they just chose to overlook that or, or maybe just in their haste, they, they missed out on it. But they accused Paul of being of this sect of the Nazarenes, this group of troublemakers. And then to add to it, they say, also has gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. It's amazing to me how big a lie a liar is willing to tell. It's amazing how big a lie the world is willing to tell to try to destroy your life, your testimony, your, your reputation. They don't care if it even remotely resembles the truth. 
The, the devil in the world doesn't mind, and the world is so eager to buy any stuff. It's amazing that they could tell such, such a big lie because the only reason Paul was in the temple was because James asked him to go help these four men get out of their, their, their Nazarene vows. Remember back in the beginning, the men, they, they, were going out of the, they had to spend four days in the temple to get her out, of, out of the vow of the Nazarene. And, and they basically suggested, Paul, if you go spend four days with them and help them out with this, maybe it'll help the Jews kind of, kind of gather into you. It'll help the Jews kind of love you and appreciate you and see that, that you're here for good. That's why he's there in the first place. It's the Jews that came and took Paul out of the temple. It's the Jews that started the riot in the temple. All Paul was doing was in there praying. He was in there to worship. They're the ones that started the junk. They're the ones that almost killed him in the temple, dragging him out. Remember, it was one of the, the temple guards that shut the door to keep him getting blood in the temple. So, so they come in and they, they called all and they said, this man came into the temple and, and started to profane the temple with this riot. Then they said, no, we wasn't going to bother you with this. We, we were just going to deal with it ourselves according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him out of our hands. He's the reason we had to come to you. It, it was that captain that did that. Commanding his accusers coming to thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented saying that these things were so. Paul may have some things in his favor right here. I know it really doesn't seem like it too much, but, but, but some things, Paul, not, number one, Felix has already read the letter written by the captain, which is about as much of a lie as the one they're telling, but they're 180 degrees in the story. So, so he's, even if the truth lies in the middle, they're nowhere close, close to it. So the fact that he's got the letter, that, that might help. But, but also, Felix knows very well who Ananias is. This ain't the first time he's had to deal with these Jews. This ain't the first time he's had to deal with the high priest. He knows, um, he knows he would like to put a drop of preparation H on him and make him go away. Because he, he is a pain in, in the royal posterior. So, so the fact that he knows who he's dealing with, that, that's got to help out some. So Tertullus finishes his bunch of lies. He's backed by the council member. And it says that Felix beckons with his hand for Paul to speak. Paul doesn't do the same kissing up. He gives a little bit of credit to Felix in verse number 10. Paul, after the governor had beckoned him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for the worship. Number one, he says the only reason I was there was to worship. The only reason I came to Jerusalem was to worship in the Passover. May not be anything to you Romans, but it is to us Jews. And the only reason I was even in the town was as I came to worship. Besides that, I only got there 12 days ago. Now, I spent two days in chains. I spent a day traveling here to you. I spent five days waiting on them. I mean, the, the first day I spent talking to the elders of the church, the next four days I spent praying in the temple. And other than that, I've been in chains. So exactly when was it that I was supposed to have stirred up all this fuss? When, when was it that I was supposed to be out building up this riot and stirring up all these people? Because the, um, and here, here's my 12 days. And you know what most of them are. It, it says that verse number 12, 
They neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues or in the city. He said, I wasn't, have, I wasn't arguing with anybody. The only thing, there was myself and four men that I was trying to help, and we were in there praying until they all showed up with the yelling and, and drug me out. None, none of that stuff they're saying is true. But then he says in verse number 13, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. So, so Paul begins to answer their accusations. He says, I, I wouldn't have had time to do what they're talking about if I wanted to. I hadn't even been in the town long enough. Besides that, I was in the temple praying, and, and they came in and, and started. And, and now all of these things that they're saying, all they are is words of the mouth. He, he said they can't prove them. Number one, they can't prove them because they're a lie. They can't prove them because they're, they're made up. They, they have absolutely no proof and, and understand in any court of law, even back then, proof is the burden of the prosecution, Right? So if they're going to bring these accusations, they're going to put this stuff up, they're going to make it there. They got to bring some kind of proof. They got to bring something more than one of these television lawyers that puts out there about, you've been hit by a truck, call me, I'll take care of it. Well, you're right, you probably will. You're going to rip somebody off and take something out. They've got their high-paid lawyer, but you got to have something more than your high-paid lawyer if you're going to get something. You got to have proof. And he says, they don't, they don't have any proof. They don't, they don't have anything there. Well, I got eight o'clock. I told you I was good. That, that clock is good for y'all. So next Wednesday night, uh, spring break. So we're not going to have services. They don't have anything for the children. There won't be a wine or any of the stuff there. So we're not going to have services here either. So there'll be no services on Wednesday. But there is. He's alive on Friday. And there is. He's alive on Saturday. Lord willing. I said there was church last Sunday too. But we see how that worked out. I need to go back to that about Lord willing, the creek don't rise. It don't matter about the creek rise. It's all about Lord willing. So Lord willing, there's going to be, he's alive Friday and Saturday night. Lord willing, there's going to be some lost souls washed in the blood Friday and Saturday night. There's going to be some names written down Friday and Saturday night. There's going to be some lost souls saved. Some of them might be our family members. Some of them might be our friends. Some of them might be people that are just like us. Everybody looked and said, him, there ain't no way. Oh yeah, there's a way. The way is Jesus, right? So we won't be in here next Wednesday, Lord willing, a couple weeks. We'll, we'll pick up right here. But, but I want to ask if you would. I, I know you guys are getting the 10-day countdown um, prayer. Um, all of these are important. We, we've got a very important one coming up in that. Um, all, all of them are. Every part of He's Alive is important. We didn't send those prayer lists out as, as different ones. But um, do not do know one in particular. Um, it's going to need a particular lot of, lot of prayer. And when you get it, you'll know. Just just pray. Uh, I've got a few more days of praying there. Pray for the weather Friday and Saturday. Um, well, it, that's real. Lights, sound, everything that goes on in the building. We would like for it to work. I know God has his plan. But we would like for it to work. We would love for the microphones to function. We, we would love for the sound system to operate and all the spotlights to come on on cue. We, we would love for things to go right. I, I will add this and I'll pray because now I'm late. I'm two minutes past. If every light works and every line is spoken and every part is acted to perfection and we don't pray and it's not anointed, it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. It all boils, boils down to will God's people pray. So I want you to pray for an anointing on this place 
for this weekend. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for even allowing us to serve you. Thank you, God, that you would even entrust a people like us with something like He's Alive, God, that you would anoint us and show up time and time again, year in and year out, and, and anoint us for your purpose, God, that you might receive glory and that the kingdom might be added to. Father, I pray a special anointing on this place, God. I pray you'd anoint it for the entire weekend, God. I pray your presence would just surround this parking lot, Lord. I pray for people driving by on North Davis and Hammett Road. I pray that your presence is so thick and so strong they feel it when they ride by, God. I pray if they got something bad on the radio, they'd change it because of the presence of the Holy Spirit around this campus, God. I pray for everybody in this room, God, as we walk out. I pray you'd anoint us. I pray you'd make us usable vessels. Use us, God. Use us on our way home tonight. Use us in our workplaces tomorrow. Use us, God, that somebody could see Christ in us and see a light in this dark world. You've been good to us, Father. We just want people to see the light that you've put in us. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Love